From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the Chesapeake Bay, Virginia is a mecca for outdoor travel and adventure. Virginia Outdoor Adventures podcast is the ultimate guide for local outdoor recreation, including hiking, camping, kayaking, and so much more. Get the information and the inspiration to plan your own adventure right here in Virginia. I'm your host, Jessica Bowser. Imagine the largest mammals on earth just mere miles from the most populated city in Virginia. Acrobatic humpback whales, enormous fin whales, endangered right whales, and playful bottlenose dolphins all spend the winter just offshore from Virginia Beach. Mike Mizell, boat program specialist at the Virginia Aquarium, shares some fascinating facts about these marine giants and how you can experience them in their natural habitat. Let's go. Virginia Outdoor Adventures is sponsored by the Virginia Association for Parks. VAFP is the advocacy organization representing parks across the Commonwealth. What's your favorite memory from a Virginia park? Help ensure that everyone can experience our parks for generations to come. Join VAFP today by visiting virginiaparks.org or click Virginia Association for Parks in the show notes of your listening app. Blue Ridge Outdoors Magazine takes readers deep into the mountains, covering adventure, recreation, travel, and culture. The largest free, independent, outdoor lifestyle magazine in the country, Blue Ridge Outdoors is dedicated to inspiring people in the Blue Ridge and beyond to go outside and play. Every issue includes coverage of top scenic destinations, multi-sport spotlights, interviews with inspiring adventurers, new gear reviews, and features on regional music and culture. Check out Blue Ridge Outdoors Magazine on Newsstands Monthly or click the link in your show notes to visit BlueRidgeOutdoors.com. Mike, welcome to Virginia Outdoor Adventures. All right. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. What do you love about Virginia's outdoors? You get the best of uh, both worlds with the mountains and the oceans. I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley, but always longed to um, live by the ocean. Um, so you're pretty much a, a day trip from anywhere in the, uh, in the state. Here in Virginia Beach, I love that we, there's a lot of diversity in the uh, life that we see here. We're kind of on the mid-Atlantic. Right now, I am involved with uh, whale watching, and there's some factors that go into kind of off the coast of Virginia Beach with the uh, Labrador current coming from the north, bringing us cold water. And we have the Gulf Stream current coming up from the south, bringing us warm water. And those two two streams mix, and we have a great diversity of life here throughout the year. Um, of course, we're also a, a good area for, uh, for birding throughout the years. Lots of places, um, the birds stop on their um, long migration. So yeah, just, it's just a lot to love. There sure is. You know, I'm a birder and I was really excited about the birds that we were seeing on the winter wildlife tours. So I love Virginia Beach for that reason, too. What sparked your interest in marine biology? I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley, um, kind of in the uh, in the country, in the woods, freshwater lakes and rivers, but always loved our trips to the uh, Outer Banks. Um, my dad really played a role in getting me outdoors and exploring and some of the things that I remember are going into the sounds in the Outer Banks with a seine net and finding just the crabs, the shrimp, the great variety of fish. I kind of knew at a young age that I wanted to live by the, uh, by the ocean um, and have a career in marine biology. 
Can you describe your role at the Virginia Aquarium? Well, currently I am the uh, boat program specialist. So I oversee the, uh, the whale watching dolphin watch programs. We also have various types of specialty trips that we would do, will do. And kind of my, I've been at the aquarium since 1999. I've pretty much been involved in all, all educational components of the aquarium. So you've been at the aquarium for a while. I'll bet you've seen a lot of whales in that time. I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you how many I've seen. Yes, I have seen a lot because throughout that time, I have always been involved with the uh, boat in some capacity or another. And one of the first things I did here were the whale watches. And yet you still get so excited when you see a whale. And I got to witness that just the other day. I was going to say, did you notice that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so great. So first of all, I want to thank you for inviting me on one of the whale watching tours recently. Um, we left from the Virginia Aquarium and we headed out into the ocean and everybody on the boat was on the lookout for the whales. And when the first one was spotted, you blurted <laughs> into the microphone. I mean, you, first of all, you were narrating the whole trip, right? So there was in, great information about the ocean and about the wildlife in the ocean all throughout the trip but as soon as you saw that first whale you just yelled into the mic and then you apologized for yelling into the mic <laughs> i will tell you i mean when you are intently searching for something and you know when you see it you're only going to see it for a moment because think you know whales come up for the breath they're not out you know at the surface very long and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting all of a sudden there it is i it's impossible not to yell I, i've tried <laughs> I, I don't think it is is possible to uh, not get excited, especially the first time on the trip when you see the uh, whale surface. Yeah, well, you definitely got me excited. I think I jumped up off the bench because I was like, oh, my gosh, where is it? And of course, everybody runs for the front of the boat because we are all very excited to see it. And it's just a very energy, high energy moment. <laughs> Yes, it, it definitely is. Why don't you walk us through the experience of a whale watching tour? I mean, I experienced it just the other day, so I'm happy to talk about it from my experience as well. But why don't you just share with the listeners what visitors can expect on a tour? Okay. Of course, you can you can purchase your tickets online. Um, you get your um, whale watch tickets. You're going to want to check in about a half hour before trip departure to make sure we get everybody um, checked in, names on the manifest. And we actually have a dock here at the aquarium. We're going to load onto the boat and we're going to go through Lake Rudy, um, the small body of water that's actually connected to the ocean through Rudy Inlet. So on your way out, you're going to be hearing some narration from the educator about Lake Rudy and some of the inhabitants there. There's a lot of salt marsh habitat around Lake Rudy. Um, some of the, um, as we head closer to the inlet, you're going to see some of the, uh, I guess more um, developed areas, but then we'll we'll head out of the inlet. And really, at this point, there's not really a set course unless we know where the whales are when we come out. But we're going to get out of the inlet, and we're going to remind you that this is an all eyes on deck um, experience. We're going to need everybody looking for these whales. You know, these whales are large, but once you get out to the ocean, and Jessica, I, I don't know if you kind of notice it too. There's a lot, a lot of water to cover. Mm -hmm. trying to find these whales you know it is kind of like a needle in a haystack almost so we have all eyes on deck and we'll tell them some things to look for we'll we'll see other wildlife while we're out there um pointing it out of course it is the winter time i should have mentioned when you do come on these trips go ahead and wear more layers than you think you need it's always better to have more 
and be able to take them off than to not come out with enough. But it can be cold out there. But a good thing is with the uh, boat, we do have a, a climate controlled cabin. So you can go into the cabin to um, to warm up. But yeah, so we're, we're out there looking. Some things we're looking for, white water, kind of splashing at the surface would indicate some surface activity. Looking for the whale's blow or the whale's visible breath. You imagine that whale's coming up to the surface. It comes to take a breath. And when it exhales, that hot air is hitting that cold air. And that's what you're seeing. Looking for that. Also looking for groups of birds. That's a good indicator, too, because a lot of the birds out there, especially the, the northern gannets, they'll feed on the same bait that the whales are looking to feed on. So if you see a group of birds diving into water, there's an indication that, yes, there's bait there and that there could be whales there as well. So we have people looking out for these and we tell them, you know, make noise, be loud, point if you do see something and we will check it out. Um, and then once we, uh, as we are doing this search, you will hear a, um, you will hear some narration over the uh, microphone about our local wildlife and especially about the whales. But then as you say, if all of a sudden, and I think we're all guilty of it, you hear kind of a yell. It sounds like there it is 12 o'clock. We see a whale, we're going to let you know about it. And we're at that point, again, all eyes on deck watching it. And we'll be up there pointing it out. So I thought it was a really exciting trip from beginning to end. I mean, we only saw the whales for a certain portion of the trip, but it was really neat to get on the boat and immediately, like before you even leave the dock, you're already seeing wildlife. Like we're seeing mm -hmm. great blue herons and brown pelicans, double-crested cormorants. Um, we even saw a razor bill. Do you want to describe what a razor bill is? So a razor bill, and my best description for it is... I call it the the penguin of Virginia Beach. You know, just a little football-shaped bird, kind of size bird as well. Kind of, you know, like a lot of marine animals have that dark on top, light on the bottom, that counter shading. But they remind me of penguins, and they have that kind of distinct bill. And they're just out there floating along in the water. We see them. They'll dive down, catch some invertebrates to eat, and come back up to the surface. I believe you said you saw one taken off, and it kind of looked like it was running across the water. Yep. So I, I just, they just have like a lot of character, I believe. And, you know, I see a lot of penguin in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're super cute. They're, they're just yes. short and short and stout and small, but they're black and white. They have a really thick bill that they use for, you know, uh, catching and crushing invertebrates. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I saw one take off across the water. And it's, I mean, if you can imagine what a penguin might look like if it's trying to run, that's what a razor bill looks like, but it's doing it on top of the water. It's so neat. Yeah. So there's just a lot of really cool things to see even before you get out into the Atlantic. So right. there's there's a lot of things going on and it's really neat to be looking through all the tall grasses and um, throughout the water for all those different animals, which are mostly birds, I think. Um, so if you like birds, uh, it's really yes. great. And I also love that there were so many staff from the aquarium on the boat who were there to point the things out and let people know what they were seeing and provide some really interesting facts about them and also to answer any questions. Right. Yeah, we have um, we try to for each trip have at least two volunteers and a staff member. We are um, partnered with Rover. Um, they provide the captain and the crew and the crew and the captain are very knowledgeable as well. And we're all just excited. We're all kind of nature lovers and love to share that passion with the folks that are on that boat. And in fact, the captain and I sometimes we, you know, we 
kind of an unspoken um, competition of who can find the whale first, which is, which can be fun. And I guess that also contributes to my yelling as well when I first see a uh, whale. Yeah, I noticed that a little bit between you and the captain. There was a there was definitely a healthy competition going on there, but um, yes. it was cool. It was really cool for me because you invited me to join you in the wheelhouse, which was, you know, not, not something that a typical visitor can do. But from that perspective, I really got to hear what goes on and it were actually to to experience what goes on in finding the whales, but also finding all the other wildlife and how all of the staff and the volunteers on board communicate with each other about what they're seeing and what direction to move in and when it's not okay to move. And we'll talk about that in a minute too. Um, But there was just, there's a lot going on and it's awesome to see that there's so many knowledgeable people on board to make sure that it's being done in a safe and responsible way. Yeah, exactly. And it's, they're great. Everybody is so, so great to work with and everybody like you say is knowledgeable is having fun and how can you not have fun when you're out watching whales and other wildlife right and i'll just say this for anybody who's wondering you mentioned that there is an enclosed area or or a cabin that's heated and so i spent some time in there because initially i was out on deck and it got to be pretty cold so yeah you do want to bring all of the layers that you have and you know i had hand warmers inside my gloves which i found were necessary or my fingers would have been frozen um but eventually i did go inside because it just got to be a little bit much and then when we slowed down um, to actually see the whales, then I went back out. So you do have that option. There's restrooms on board, there's snacks on board. So it's a really comfortable experience for the visitor. Discover a world of trails, wildlife, and beautiful scenery on Virginia's eastern shore, where you'll find the longest stretch of wild coastline remaining on the entire east coast. Strap on your helmet and experience the Eastern Shore's most iconic sites by bike, including the wild ponies at Chincoteague National Wildlife Refuge, the concrete ghost ships at Kiptapeak State Park, and the marsh overlook at the Eastern Shore of Virginia National Wildlife Refuge. I'm planning my next visit during one of the shore's major biking events. La Tour de Shore in June passes through picturesque towns on the water, and Between the Waters Bike Tour in October features a classic oyster roast and live music after a ride along pristine coastline. One of the most exciting times to visit the eastern shore is in the fall, when bird migration is at its peak. Songbirds and birds of prey following the Atlantic coastline as they migrate south are funneled down the peninsula, creating one of the highest concentrations of migrating birds. If you're a bird watcher like me, this is paradise. I've been exploring the shore's 22 stops on the Virginia Bird and Wildlife Trail, as well as observing the flyovers at the Kiptapeak Hawk Watch. I'm looking forward to my first guided excursion to the Eastern Shore's Barrier Islands. In addition to natural beauty, the Eastern Shore is also known for their local artisans, including painters, sculptors, glassblowers, woodcarvers, and more, who find their inspiration from this coastal haven. Natural beauty and authentic coastal heritage, it's a shore thing. Start planning your Eastern Shore trip today. Click on Visit the Eastern Shore of Virginia in the show notes of your podcast listening app. Mike, I mean, we already talked about some of the the wildlife that we saw when we were together, but is there anything else that you've spotted on other tours that visitors might also get to experience? So yeah, just kind of rundown. We may have talked about some of these, but some of the birds that we can see out there, um, you know, include the great blue herons, sometimes the egrets, especially in the wintertime, buffleheads, mergansers, the double-crested cormorants, brown pelicans, 
northern gannets, um, surf scoters, have bald eagles that sometimes um, perch right across the uh, dock from where we uh, load. Also see uh, kingfisher sometimes greets us while we're while we're heading out. Um, and then when we're out in the ocean, it's just like again, just the various types of gulls. And as you said, we we saw a humpback whale and fin whale. Um, we saw two humpback whales and fin whales yesterday, but we also saw bottlenose dolphins, the most common whale found in Virginia Beach. And a lot of people don't even realize that bottlenose dolphins are, in fact, whales. Um, they are toothed whales, whereas the humpbacks and the fins and the larger ones we are watching are baleen whales. So that's something else that we we see. And it's, it's funny, we're seeing them more and more in the wintertime than when we used to. Because, again, like I say, I started in 1999, and I don't remember seeing that many in my uh Early in my career, in the wintertime, you know, usually that's just a that's a that's a summertime visitor for the most part. Also, see minke whales, and on some trips, some people have been fortunate enough to see the uh, critically endangered right whale. Somehow, that has eluded me over the years, but I'm still hoping to be able to see one one day. That would be awesome. Now, what about sea turtles? Do you ever see those? Oh, in the summertime, yeah. So, in the summertime, they're they're a lot of fun. As we're doing our dolphin watches, sea turtles are around. Um, so you got to, if you're out on the boat, just keep your eyes for them in the water. We'll let you know if we see uh, dolphins other places. What those sea turtles like to do to me is they like to wait for me to announce they're there. And then guess what they do right when I announce it? Do they dive down? They dive. They yeah. dive. They like to make me look uh, like I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> we've seen some uh, green sea turtles while we're out there. We've seen the um, loggerheads. Um, another fun thing to see in the summertime are the uh, cow nose rays. Um, sometimes as they're migrating down, especially when we get close to the Chesapeake Bay, you'll see it looks like these brown um, diamonds kind of darting around through the water. So it's a lot of fun seeing those as well. well. One thing that I enjoy finding too are just seeing the different types of jellies that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we'll see the, um, sometimes we'll see some uh, nettles, um, also the moon jellies. And one of my favorites, the uh, cannonball jelly, it kind of retains a round shape to it. We usually see these in the fall, but it's interesting. These jellies, they kind of show up. They're kind of purplish to maroonish inside, clear bell. But there are times when I've been able to uh, examine one, and a lot of times you're going to find a juvenile spider crab living in this, inside that bell. Those no spider way. crabs often find their way into those bells and they'll feed on the bits of detritus or plankton or whatever washes up into the bell of that um, cannonball jelly. And um, wow. in fact, I was out with a, a group of college students this fall on our research vessel. And uh, I actually told them about that. If we see some of them, I'll show them that they didn't believe me. And of course, I did pull one from the water, found that spider crab, showed it to them and their jaws just dropped put the spider crab back in there and release the uh, jelly back into the ocean. Oh, wow. What an interesting relationship between those two organisms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. and, and more often than not, not that I examine a bunch of, uh, you know, cannonball jellies, but more often than not, there is a spider crab there. That's awesome. Um, let's get back to the whales. We, Certainly. Yeah, definitely. Let's find <laughs> out more about the whales. So we got to see humpback and fin whale, um, but I'm sure you've got some really interesting facts about these whales that will interest folks. So the cool, so yeah, we did see the two humpback whales and the scientific name for the humpback whale is a Megaptera novangliae, and that means large winged New Englander. 
think about the pectoral fins on the humpback whale. They are about one third of the body length of a humpback whale, and they can grow to be up to 60 feet in length. So they're pretty, pretty long. And that, you know, humpbacks are known to be the most acrobatic of the large whales, um, sometimes even breaching, spinning, as due in large part to those pectoral fins and to their very powerful and large tail flukes. When we were out there, when we first saw the whale, we saw one dive or go on a sounding dive when he dived down deeper. Were you able to see the tail fluke when it did that? I didn't. I, that, okay. I was really sad. Yeah, it happens so quickly. And if you're looking like off to the left and it happens on the right, sometimes by the time you've yes. moved over to see it, it's already gone under. And yeah, so, but we, we saw it that initial time when it did that dive. And those from tip to tip of that fluke, they can be as wide as 18 feet. And that's like wow. me laying down head to toe three times. So very powerful, very acrobatic. They're part of a group of whales called Roraquals. And in the Roraquals, they have what's called throat grooves or throat plates that extend from their, kind of from the tip of their chin down to their belly. This allows their, um, when they take in gulps, when they're feeding, it allows more water into their body. To kind of backtrack a little bit, these humpback quails, you know, they are baleen whales. Instead of having teeth, they have hundreds of long fibers of fibers, plates of baleen that hang from their upper jaw where teeth would otherwise be. So they're going to feed on large quantities of small food items, which is, you know, large whale, you know, it probably can't maneuver around to catch larger food. You know, it's, it could probably out um, maneuver it, but these large schools of say Menhaden, what we have here off of our coast, what they'll do is they'll approach the school of Menhaden. They're going to open up their jaw. And their jaw can open up to 90 degrees. And that's that's a lot. Wow. It takes in water. It takes in that menhaden. Those throat grooves are going to expand really large to help it take in more water. And um, let's say taking the water, taking the fish, they're going to close, kind of close their mouth and use their stomach muscles and their tongue to push the water out through the baleen plates. But all the food gets trapped on the inside. Um, so they expel it, then they'll swallow whatever's left in them. Bailey or uh, humpback quails can eat about one and a half tons of food a day. And if I'm doing my math right, that's about the equivalent of 12,000 quarter pounder cheeseburgers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so they are, they are eating a lot and, you know, they'll, they'll feed on krill and other areas as well. But, you know, here in Virginia beach, um, we have lots of uh, menhaden, very oily fish, high in protein, kind of easier for, um, whales to exploit because they do form these dense schools at the surface to kind of make them easier to feed on. Of course, they'll feed on bay anchovies and silver sides as well here. Yeah. One thing that you pointed out to me when we were in the wheelhouse was there's radar on the boat mm -hmm. that shows what's underneath the boat. And you were like, okay, so this, this color here is the ground. And then all of this red that you're seeing inside the blue, these are all schools of fish. And this is what the whales are feeding on. And let me tell you, I think it's before you came up, you know, we, we could see all the action going off in the distance. And as we were traveling out there, we would see a little bit of that red, that fish below us. But it was funny. All of a sudden on the bottom machine, Mark points out, there was like this distinct line of no fish to just almost fish, like covering the entire, I think we were in 40 feet of water at that time, mm -hmm. kind of all the way up and down the, um, the screen there. And then probably about, Two minutes later was when we um, saw the first whale blow. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense because they're following the schools of fish. Exactly. And we did see a lot of bird activity too, like you mentioned. So like the Northern gannets were, and and I don't think we said this earlier, but Northern gannets, they dive head first into the water to catch fish, which is really cool to watch. So if if you've got a flock of Northern gannets, they look like some kind of airplanes or bombs or just dive bombing straight into the water. And you see one after another, after another going in. And some people, they're there, you know, they, they love seeing the gannets just as much. I, I think they're extremely fun to watch. And, you know, we saw some yesterday and, you know, there are times we'll see, like you say, those flocks of them. And a northern gannet is a large white bird with very sharp features, mm-hmm. sharp wings, sharp um, or sharp wing ticks, sharp elbows, sharp beak, tail feathers. When all of a sudden hundreds of them are diving at a time, kind of they'll pull those wings back, dive straight down. You'll see all the splashing, all that activity. I mean, that that can wind, wind or excuse me, that can fire you up as well, just watching that and how fun that is. Yeah, um, I was fired up. Northern Ganners are, you know, I don't have a favorite bird, but if I had mm-hmm. to make a list of some of my like top 15 or 20, they would be up there because they're a beautiful, striking bird. Right. And the you will never get bored watching their behavior, their feeding behavior. It's really neat. Right, right. Yeah, the, and they have beautiful blue eyes if you get to lucky enough to see them, you know, um, close up or in pictures. So like you say, lots of very beautiful, very handsome uh, birds. Now, back in my younger days, when I was first started off with whale watching, those gannets used to when I'm trying to figure out what does a blow look like, those bland- gannets would confuse me. And I learned never to uh, announce I see a blow until I can confirm that a gannet hasn't popped up where I saw, thought I saw a blow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when I they mean, hit the water, it makes a big splash. And I could see where that would look like a whale blow. I may have done that once or twice. And yeah, if the wind is blowing just right and kind of blows that splash in the air, it can definitely look like a whale blow. Yeah. So, okay. Talk about the fin whales. What are some interesting facts about them? Probably one of the funnest facts is they are the second largest animal on earth next to the blue whale. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very, very large. They're also known as the greyhounds of the sea. That is because they are very fast and they can swim at um, bursts of speeds of up to 23 miles per hour. So we were fortunate yesterday at those, you know, there are times that we've been out there, we'll see a fin whale maybe once or twice and then never see it again because it's, you know, traveling, you know, they'll stay underwater for considerable amounts of time sometimes, and they will travel pretty quickly. So the ones we, the one we saw yesterday was, uh, I think was just still in the area feeding, you know, and we were fortunate to see it, um, several times, but yeah, they are the, uh, second largest, uh, animal next to the blue whale um, growing over 80 feet in length um, and they also are a royal coral meaning that they can kind of expand that that throat their throat they have those um, throat grooves where they can take in more water and you know they'll, they'll be feeding on krill and um, plankton up in their um, probably northern um, feeding areas but here they're most likely feeding on the menhaden as well now, was it the fin whale or the humpback where you were timing how often they were coming up to the surface? <laughs> I want to be honest. We we had a hard time timing, but yes, we were trying to time one of the um, humpback whales. But then we got to a point where we were so concerned of um, watching all the other whales. We got confused of which one came up and went down. But there was what we were trying to time, especially of humpback whales, you know, a lot of times, not always, typically they'll come up for three breaths. It can be anywhere from, you know, 15 seconds to maybe 45 seconds or longer between each breath. 
And with a surface characteristic of a humpback whale, usually that breath is short and bushy. But usually after that third breath, they will go for what's called a sounding dive or a deeper dive where they'll stay down for anywhere from one to maybe even four minutes. And that was the pattern that we were trying to uh, find with the whales. Um, but uh, I'll just speak for myself. I got a little confused trying to uh, time it because... I lost track of which whale I was uh, watching at the time, but well, I that's do... <laughs> understandable because there's one over here and there's one over there. Right. And you're like you're looking in all directions, right? But I know I know some of the crew. The crew, um, I believe, Sabrina had it coming up about every minute or so. Okay, and you mentioned earlier that there is a highly endangered right whale. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the uh, the right whale, which, as I said, I've been doing this for 24 years. I have yet to see one. Um, I've had some staff volunteers that have been very fortunate to see them. They are the most endangered of the great white whales, the North Atlantic right whale. And um, with numbers, I'm just going to say below three, 350, there's different numbers out there, but we'll just say less than 350 of them left today. And have you heard the story of how they got the name the right whale? Uh, you may have mentioned it to me another time. I think it had well, something will, to do with hunting. They were considered the right whale to hunt. They were easy to exploit but, uh, um, in the early days of uh, whaling. They um, stayed near the surface. They were slow. They were very bulky. They had lots of oil. So it was, you know, very valuable that way. They easy to transport because they floated. So unfortunately, all these characteristics um, made them easy to exploit, and their numbers have reduced drastically. The right whale... So I said is critically endangered, but um, they have been seen around here this year. Um, so I've, I've still had my fingers crossed. I'll be able to see them. I know there are some coming back up from the coast of Georgia with their calves. So that would be an incredible sight too. So I'm going to try to speak that into existence. I um, hope that that works for you. <laughs> yes, I do. I certainly do too. But um, yeah, the, the, they, if you remember when we were watching the uh, whales yesterday, as we saw them, we would just, you know, we wouldn't approach right at the whales, but we try to approach slowly. We drop our speed down and kind of parallel the course. Um, and then if the whales got within 100 yards, what do we do? We stopped completely. We stopped completely. Yep. And we were at the mercy of the whale to re move away from us um, before we would re-engage and move again. So with right whales, it's 500 yards. So pretty much you might see this it has a V-shaped blow. You'll see that V-shaped blow from a distance, but really you're not, we're not going to approach a right whale any closer than 500 yards. And it might just be something that we see along the way. Now, again, if all of a sudden, if we're cruising along, you know, you know, we're watching whales and a right whale comes up next to us, then we're just got to stay there, stay there till it moves 500 yards away. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that the captain was very, I mean, they're trained in this, right? Like, isn't right. there, a, yeah, they have to go through a training. So he was very aware of how far away each whale was and he knew when to cut the engine immediately. And then you would announce we're, you know, we're going to stay here until the whale is a certain distance away and then we can start moving again. Right. And, you know, we literally had whales hold us captive sometimes because they were interested and sticking staying close i say they were interested i don't know but they were staying close to the boat um sometimes just kind of logging right beside it sometimes we have gotten back in a few minutes late because of that no one i knock on wood no one's complained about that before though
I can't imagine anybody would. I mean, in the instance where we had to stop, we saw the whale in the distance and all of a sudden it turned towards us and right. it just started coming right towards the boats. And there was sort of like, oh my gosh, here it comes. And everybody was super excited and it came up right in front of the boat. And then it came up again, right along the side of the boat. I mean, it was so close and you really got an idea of how huge these animals are. Right. I, I can't imagine anybody complaining about an experience like that. <laughs> Well, it was funny. I, you know, I told my wife when I got home about that experience. And of course, the first thing she says, did you get video? <laughs> like, of course not. <laughs> I you were found... a little busy with that <laughs> microphone. <laughs> well, that too. But I have also found that when I'm prepared for it, it doesn't happen. So I take one for the team. There are times we've been out there. We were waiting for a whale to come up and I'll announce over the microphone that I'm going to go ahead and turn my back away from the water. And I have done that. And literally... 10 seconds later, a whale will breach or it will come back up, you know. So uh, I find that I do better when I just have my mental memories or my mental pictures. But uh, I, I would agree with that because <laughs> I felt like I, I did miss some of the things that were happening because I was so busy trying to capture it on video. But I did right. capture that incident, that incident on video. So Excellent. I will I, I don't I guess I must not have sent it to you. I will send it to you and I will probably also share it on social media so that listeners awesome. can, yeah, can see what we were talking about. Could you also just expand a little bit about what safety precautions are usually taken to ensure that we're not disturbing the whales i'm sure yeah so i uh, this might be a little bit of a repeat here but as far as when we're watching a humpback whale minke whale uh fin whale we're not going to approach them any closer than 100 yards and we're not going to do a head-on approach as i said we'll try to uh, parallel the course um, and if for some reason they come to us we will um, disengage the engines and remain in neutral until they come back up you know 100 yard 100 yards away and then um with right whales, as I said, it's 500. But uh, we were you were talking about kind of the training that the captains take, you know, the naturalists take it too. We're part of a voluntary education and recognition program that's offered to commercial um, whale watching companies um, called Whale Sense, W H A L E S E N C E. When you're part of Whale Sense, um, they'll just recognize um, companies like us that do take the training, that do. Um, have stewardship pro projects that do practice responsible whale watching. So pretty much the sense, the uh, acronym there, sense is stick to the regional whale watching guidelines. E is the educate naturalists, captains, and passengers to have sense while watching whales. N is notify appropriate networks of whales in distress. S is set an example for other boaters. And E is encourage ocean stewardship. Um, you didn't really get to see it yesterday, um, but there are times that we are out there and there are lots of smaller boaters out there that kind of watch the large boats to see who we're going. So we we do make sure that they know these guidelines as well. We will we will try to set that example and encourage them to do the same. Yeah, that's fantastic because I know that I have watched different documentaries and information about whales and and. Um, what some of the issues are lately and big commercial fleets and cruise ships and things like that. They're noisy, right? right? Mm -hmm. And and that noise interferes with the whales being able to communicate with each other. And then right. also you've got the boat collisions and other accidents that happen. So it's good to know that if you are going to take one of these whale watching tours, that all of the staff on board have been educated about this and they're taking the appropriate actions to make sure that they're not disrupting the whales behavior in the wild. 
Did you know that you can become a member of Virginia Outdoor Adventures? For the same price as a cup of coffee once a month, you can receive a Virginia Outdoor Adventures membership while supporting the show. Members have access to the complete list of links and resources from each episode. Members also receive Virginia Outdoor Adventures vinyl stickers and a shout out on the show. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting me. Hit pause on your podcast player, go to your show notes, and click on Buy Me a Coffee, where you can buy me a virtual coffee or sign up for a membership. My sincere gratitude for the newest members of Virginia Outdoor Adventures, Tom from Richmond, James from Bealton, and Scott from Rural Retreat. Thank you so much for your support. Mike, what surprises Aquarium guests the most about the whales? Well, honestly, with a lot of them, and this is folks from out of town and also people who live in Virginia Beach, a lot of times they're surprised that we even they even have an opportunity to see whales here off of Virginia Beach. Um, I get that a lot. Every uh, every year, people, when I talk to them on the phone, when they talk, call inquiring, like, yeah, we never even knew there were whales in Virginia Beach. So, yeah, we get them on the boat and we, you know, Hopefully they come out in the boat and they spread the word so more and more people know that there are in fact whales in Virginia Beach. So that surprised them. Of course, the size, the size surprises them. Um, another thing that gets the reaction, and it's a large animal, so you kind of have to expect it, is the the smell of the whale, um, the different smells that it can emit. You know, whether it's breath or using the bathroom, and we've we've experienced both of it. But that's that's a big surprise for people. Yeah, you mentioned that to me. I didn't get to experience it on this last tour, but you said that mm -hmm. sometimes the whales will come up and when they breathe, if the wind is blowing, it can blow that right towards the boat and then everybody on board right. smells it. That's wild. Right. Everybody, you get all sorts of reactions from people grossing out to people cheering. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a, it's only a tiny percentage of the human population that has smelled a whale's breath or it using the bathroom, you know? Yeah, that's, that's so crazy. Consider yourself lucky. <laughs> I mean, it adds to the experience, right? Like right. you said, how many people get to experience that? So and you know what, when it does use the bathroom, it's a good opportunity to, to say that, you know, as it uses the bathroom, it's, it's just starting that food web, the very basis of the food web there with the uh, nutrients in the water to kind of start the whole process all over again with the uh, plankton feeding on that and the smaller fish feeding on that. And then the menhaden feeding on it as well. And eventually, you know, it finds its way back to the whale, finds its way back to other animals. And I don't know, maybe even to your dinner plate. <laughs> That's interesting. But that is yeah. kind of, yeah, it's part of the food web and very important part of the food web. That's right. Now we went on a winter whale watching and wildlife tour. Is there an ideal time to see whales in Virginia? If you want to see the large baleen whale, so, you know, dolphins would be in the summertime, really spring, summer, and fall, and in the winter as well. Um, if you're going to see the large, want to see the large whales, the winter time is the time to see it. The humpback whales typically are in parts north. So think of the Gulf of Maine, Newfoundland, all the way up to Iceland. That's going to be their summer feeding ground. Those cold, productive waters, that's where they're feeding in the summertime, getting themselves nice and big and fat. Because in the wintertime, they're going to make the long migration from there down to, um, down to the tropics to mate and have calves. Um, now, you know, when they're in the tropics, there's not a lot of food down there. So they're, they're fasting for the most part. So, you know, 
not all of them will take that um, or do that migration to go all the way down there. There are some that will stay here off of our coast that aren't calving for that particular year because sometimes, you know, mothers have calves every two to three years, or maybe they're just not mature enough, or maybe they're just not large enough yet to attract a mate. So why go down there if you're not going to be able to eat or do anything else? So they will stay off of our coast feeding on our bass supply of um, menhaden, um, I guess also anchovies and silver sides. So that's why we're seeing them in the wintertime because then once spring, summer gets here, they're going to migrate back up um, to the north. What impacts the population and overall health of whales in the wild? Um, a lot of things. Um, food availability um, can impact it. So if you're thinking about, you know, how you want to eat your seafood, make sure you go into sustainably sourced um, or restaurants that use sustain sustainably source seafood. I am so sorry. <laughs> of seafood. That's one thing. Also, just to redistribute it, redistribution of, food, of um, food sources due to different changes in climate. Um, another thing, um, fishing gear entanglement can be um, can be hazardous to whales as well as collisions with large ships. Um, so these are a few of the things that you know can can impact their populations. So then what role does the Virginia Aquarium play in conserving whales? So, well, for one, hopefully when folks go out on a uh, trip, one of our trips on the whale watching trip, when they go out with us, they will be inspired to uh, take measures um, to uh, to want to um, save these whales, whether it's um, what they do at home, um, organize cleanups, organize marine debris cleanups, planting riparian buffers, the, the, what they use in their yards, the pesticides, the fertilizers, hopefully they can adjust to that to, um, to you know, limit the nutrients or the toxins getting into the water and just playing havoc on the food web that would eventually lead up to the uh, whales. Um, so hopefully they're learning some of that while they're on the trip. Also, we have a stranding response team that will respond to sick, injured, and deceased whales. Um, and a lot of the uh, information they get from some of these necropsies from whales that have washed ashore, you know, give them, I guess, um, insights into their life histories, um, things that, you know, sometimes they will find debris in these whales. So it's just further evidence of, you know, marine debris is a is a real thing and it's and it's dangerous to our whales and wildlife um of course they will promote con conservation through uh, marine mammals through um research and also the um education they do outreaches to uh, spread the word the staff you know has served as experts and um take reduction teams that work to reduce incidental mortalities of marine mammals in fishing, commercial fishing um, operations. Some other things that we have done and we have done on the boat as well as being involved with photo ID and photo ID takes advantage of the natural variations of the whales, um, the ventral side of its dorsal fluke. The dorsal flukes on whales are kind of white and black, but mm -hmm. to varying degrees among individuals. So each individual whale has its own fluke pattern that is individual to them as fingerprints are to us. Oh, cool. So kind of in a nutshell, in photo ID, pictures are taken of these flukes. The date, the time, the location, you know, the coordinates, when it was taken. This information is shared with a network of scientists up and down the East Coast for comparison. So it can tell where these whales go when they're not in Virginia Beach. How often do they return? you know, get a calving history, a health history from that. 
and, you know, from all that information, you know, um, they can get data to help support different rules and laws and regulations that go into place. Some of the things you mentioned earlier are really important, too, because I think sometimes people lack the connection between their behavior in, you know, every day to how it impacts right. wildlife in the ocean. And so um, I noticed when we were on board that there were no plastic straws available, which I was really glad to see because right. we don't want that accidentally blowing off the off the boat and ending up in the water. And anybody who spends any amount of time on the water, like I, you know, I kayak and I paddle a lot, I mm -hmm. see all that stuff floating around out there and yeah. um, you know when you see it firsthand it really gets you thinking how did it get here and what what can i do to prevent that from happening so it might sound silly but i always refuse plastic straws at a restaurant and right. you know, I, I might joke with the server and say i'm trying to save the sea turtles but you know it's not really a joke <laughs> it's, it, it ends up out there and it impacts the wildlife and the word is out there at least in virginia beach because um when we go to restaurants and ask for that some of them that's that's all they do offer. And that has also been from the efforts of the aquariums outreach going to these restaurants, requ requesting things like that. So um, I'm still getting used to some of these straws, you know, the um, texture on them, but I will most definitely pick a uh, straw that's not a plastic one. Right. And also <laughs> you mentioned spraying things, you know, chemicals and fertilizers and whatnot in your yard. I mean, that's huge. I see my neighbors doing this all the time. You know, they're putting fertilizers on their lawn or they're spraying weed killer on the cracks in the sidewalks. And there's a little label over the sewer um, mm -hmm. I, I, in my neighborhood that says this goes to the Chesapeake Bay. And where, right. does, the, where does the Chesapeake Bay go? Into the ocean. Out so the whatever ocean. you're, yeah, whatever you're spraying on your your lawn or on your property is eventually going to end up out there. And like you said, it, it does impact the, the food chain. And, you know, it's up to us to make sure people do realize this, you know, um, it's because it, it doesn't seem like it seems harmless, you know, being in your own yard and not really thinking what impact this could have out on the ocean, you know, um, yeah. whereas no one will ever accuse me of putting too much fertilizer or pesticide on my yard for sure, but, uh, or <laughs> weed killer. Um, right. But uh, yeah, the, you know, fertilizers, they can end up running off and creating algal blooms and causing fish die offs. Um, another thing that, um, that kind of saw in my neighborhood, I don't know if it's on purpose or if this making a, people are making an effort to do it, which is pretty cool if they are, is some of the drainage areas, they're not mowing right down to the, uh, <laughs> to the creek anymore or to mm -hmm. the uh, drainage dishes, having these riparian buffer zones to kind of help um, filter out the impurities from the water, so. Right. So Mike, do you have any special memories or experiences from past whale watching tours? Sure, I, um, several of them. I'm just gonna pick a few here. Um, seeing my first breach was very special. Um, only, you know, of course that's special to anybody, but for me it was extra special because I had been out on several trips and, as an educator, you're constantly looking left, right, le looking to try to find, look for the whales. Where is it going to come up? And it was pretty uncanny for my first several trips that the whale was some, when the whale would breach, it's not, they don't always do that, but when a whale would breach, I was not looking in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it kind of became a joke <laughs> with the uh, staff and the crew on the boat. And um, finally, we were coming in one day, it was like a late February right before we got into Rudy Inlet and we hadn't seen any sign of it before then a whale breached probably about 
I, I would say about 200 yards off of the inlet. And I got to see that. So that was special. Wow. Um, I'm also, you know, I love lots, a lot of life in marine science. So I, I love whales, but I love fish as well. Um, one special thing that I got to see two summers ago, um, we were cruising um, north toward Cape Henry, toward the Chesapeake Bay. And we got to that isolated um, hotel that you saw that you mentioned yesterday when you were watching the birds. All of a sudden, the captain just yells nonsense. He couldn't get out what he was trying to say. And he's pointing east. There was a huge manta ray about 100 yards away that continuously jumped out of the water like five straight times. There was also a fish, a large fish that was jumping out with it that looked like a tuna. I couldn't tell what it was. It just had that tuna shape, that large football shape. So that really fired me up too. I love seeing that. I would say seeing my first sea turtle. And these are just things, you know, I, I, I ponder that all the time and just, there's, there's many to choose from. So I guess that just goes to show you never know what you're going to see out on these tours. Exactly. Exactly. What was your favorite thing that you saw yesterday? Oh gosh. I mean, definitely when, when the humpback got really close to the boat, I wasn't expecting mm -hmm. that. I didn't think it was going to get that close, but as it came up and out of the water, you just saw in sections, you know, this right. animal, like you never see the whole whale at once, but you see the front of it to the middle, to the back and to see that progression through the water with the blow coming out. Um, I thought it was just incredible. I've never been that close to a whale before. So for me, it was like, this is incredible. How many times will I ever get to see this again? And it also made me want to come back and do it again. Because when I got off the boat, I'm like, all right, when can I get back to Virginia Beach right. to try this again? Because the other thing that was cool was the staff were go were showing me in their phones other tours that they had done and really neat things that they have seen mm -hmm. um, during other tours. And I was like, you know what? You just don't know what you're going to see. So the more often you come back, the more likely you're going to see something different every time. Right. Yep. And no two trips are the same. No yeah, the I same. can They're imagine. They're all special in their own, in their own way. Yeah. I it's... liked your description of seeing the whale sections at a time. That's a good description. I never kind of thought about it that way, but that's exactly how we saw it yesterday. Yeah. The then it, the dorsal fin came up. Then you can kind of see a little bit of that tail fluke right below the water. Yeah, it was it was very exciting. So what other boat tours are offered by the Virginia Aquarium? Because it's not just whale watching tours. Right. So on the Atlantic Explorer, the boat that you went out on yesterday in the summertime, we offer dolphin watching. Um, we also offer um, kind of a sunset. We try to kind of time it with the uh, when the sunrise or sorry, the sunsets and the moon rises at the same time. Um, we don't have those date yet, those dates yet, but we do some of those trips and all sorts of little little specialty trips. We also um, tried to have one, but the weather didn't let us do it this year. But we do what's called ocean collections, where we pull a small trawl net through the water once or twice so that the families can see what they're swimming with. Fish, crabs, shrimp, just whatever's there for that day. And then do you pull that net up onto the boat or how do they pull get it up? On, it? Yeah, it's a small one. So yeah, we, it's a um, small, like a sampling net pulled behind the boat. We'll pull it up. We have a little, uh, you know, Tupperware bins or aquariums or habitats we put on board and we will um, distribute the animal into those tubs and give people a close up look at what they can see. And um, as long as the pinchers aren't too strong or too powerful, 
we do let the kids touch the some of the invertebrates. Oh wow, that's neat. Yeah. And then I they assume the animals go back. Yeah, they go back into the they go back into the ocean. But unfortunately. Um, we weren't able to do that this year because the uh, both times we had it scheduled, it was just too windy. The weather just didn't allow. And that's another thing about doing boat trips. Um, if you do schedule a boat trip, uh, whale watch, dolphin watch, whatnot, anywhere, you always want to keep your eye on the weather because no one can guarantee the weather. And we're certainly going to cancel the trips if the um, if the conditions are going to be unsafe. I'm glad you brought that up because when we did finally go, it was not the first time we tried. And right. I had, yeah, I had been in Virginia Beach a couple of weeks before, and the weather was absolutely miserable. And I've never seen the ocean so rough. <laughs> yeah. And like, there was absolutely no way anybody was going out there. But I had to come back another time. So you know, if you have your heart set on this, you're going to have to be flexible with your travel plans as much as possible because it right. could get canceled if the weather doesn't cooperate. And it's not just you know when you and I first talked about. It and you said, I don't think we're going to have good weather. I'm looking at my weather app and I'm like, what's he talking about? It's supposed to be 40 degrees and sunny. Everything looks yep. good, but it's not about, you know, the temperature or, you know, whether it's cloudy or not, it's about the, the waves and, and how big or they could get. Right. And you know, we try to make that decision far enough ahead of time so that people can make other plans and let everybody know. But, you know, sometimes the forecasts, is inaccurate um we've actually had to cancel on the days uh but we do our best to avoid that but you're right about the um you know you could look at the forecast and we've had that happen before where it's sunny like in the summertime it's sunny it's 75 degrees but that that north wind is coming you know 15 18 knots from the north northeast it would not be a fun trip out on the water no. And, the, you know, if you're near the front of the boat, even when the waves aren't that tall, you still feel the, the yeah. front of the boat going up and down. So I can only imagine what that must be like when it's rough out there. We also got a new boat this past summer, the Atlantic Scout. That is a different experience. What is um, that like? So that is all outdoor. It's a um, reinforced inflatable boat. So it's smaller. It holds about 38 people or so. It is a lot faster. So it gets from point A to point B faster. It's a shorter trip. Um, it sits lower in the water. We, so we kind of have you know two different options for people. So the Atlantic Scout sits lower in the water, can be lower, you know, closer to the uh, wildlife that we go by. It gets from point A to point B faster. So it is a shorter trip um, compared to the uh, Atlantic Explorer trips, which can be an hour and a half dolphin watch trip. Mike, how can listeners connect with you and keep up to date with what's going on at the Virginia Aquarium? All right. Well, they can connect with me directly at my uh, my email at M-W-M-I-Z-E-L-L at VirginiaAquarium.com. That's Virginia Aquarium all spelled out. Also, if you want to know what's going on at the aquarium or if you want to um, you know, sign up for a trip, you can go to our website at www.VirginiaAquarium.com. Perfect. I'll put those links in the show notes so people can find them easily. Mike, thank you so much for being a guest on Virginia Outdoor Adventures and sharing all of your knowledge about whales and other aquatic wildlife. Well, thank you very much for having us and for coming out on the trip and let me know when you want to head out again. I'm definitely going to do that. Adventure on. 
Links and resources from this episode are in the notes section of your listening app and on the website at virginiaoutdooradventures.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider supporting me. The easiest and most impactful thing you can do is visit buymeacoffee.com backslash Jessica Bowser, where you can buy me a virtual coffee or sign up for a membership. Members receive access to the full list of show notes, Virginia Outdoor Adventures vinyl stickers, and a shout out on the show. You can also support me by subscribing to the show on your listening app. Help spread the word by sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media. Last but not least, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I love hearing from my listeners. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Virginia Outdoor Adventures or on the website virginiaoutdooradventures.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, adventure on. Adventure on.